Welcome, welcome. Glad you are at church today. Are you excited to be at church today? Well, happy birthday. All right. Amazing. Three years. Three years. Uh, in some ways, it feels like three seconds. In other ways, it feels like 30 years. Come on, somebody. <laughs> if you were sitting at the bottom of those stairs at Dun & Company, you know what I'm talking about, right? And um, God has been an extremely gracious. Uh, it's one thing for uh, those of us that you know, made the commitment to plant a church uh, to do that. And when God laid that on my heart, I was 15. I didn't know what any of that meant. And didn't really care at the time, other than uh, we were going to change the world for Jesus. And then you start trying to do it, and you're like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things that is humbling about that entire scenario of planting a church is that you recognize how much you need the body of Christ. Um I have a very particular skill set and uh, not very good at anything else. <laughs> and for the church to go, the, the scripture makes it clear that some of us are eyes, some of us are noses, some of us are ears, and some of us are hands, and some of us are fingers, and some of us are kneecaps. You know, do you ever, you ever need your kneecap? Well, yeah, and you know you need it when somebody bashes it, you know, like... <laughs> You know, you don't really ever think about your shin till your six year old kicks it. Right. And you're like, oh, that hurts a lot. Um, you know, and it's like the Bible's made it clear that the body of Christ is made up of all of us and that regardless of what your gift is, it's why it's why we push growth track so much. And if you haven't signed up for that, I want you to sign up for that, because what it is, is is you're going to meet Redeemer and what we stand for. But what you're going to find when we say that is that you are the engine that drives the church. And so it's it's imperative that you find your gift and you put it to work within the family of God to love each other and serve each other. And then that is the thing, John 17, that the world will look at and say, that is different. And that is what I need to be a part of. And so that that's really who we are and what we stand for, you know, Jesus told us what he came for, right? In Luke chapter four, he said he came to set people free. And so we're on that mission. But to do that, we we gather as the church. What an amazing, amazing thing. And every single one of us play a role in that. And so it's been an amazing three years, but God is setting before us greater things, right? You know, I've, I've told you this before that the, the most annoying verse in the Bible is when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I'm going to leave and then you're going to do greater things than I did. And, and you know, if you're, st- if you're just put yourself in the disciples shoes in that moment, you're like, yeah, okay. You know, fed the 5,000 with some little kids lunch. Like what's better than that? Man, you made buffet for thousands of people out of a sack lunch. What is greater than that? You know, you raise Lazarus from the dead. What's better than that? I mean, they were grumpy with you and you just rolled in there like you own the place. And we're like, Lazarus, come forth. Just like in the King James, right? Come forth, you know, and Lazarus walked out of the grave. I mean, can you imagine what's running through their head? 
But what did Jesus have in mind? He had in mind this. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? He had in mind this, that, that there would be a people, John seventeen twenty one that would be unified under the name of Jesus, that would love each other in spite of their faults, that would serve each other in spite of their feelings, that they would sacrifice for the good of others so that people might see and savor Jesus. And that people would be brought from death to life. And make that public through baptism. Those are the pictures you saw. That, that's why we do what we do. And as I look around and I, I you know, so many of you were that, were that person. And it's amazing. So cool. And as God continues to build this church, to build his church, the capital C church, where do we fit into that? Where do you fit into that? We're, we're going to talk about some tangible aspects of that after church today. And I want you to stay for that if you call Redeemer City Church home. It's going to be uh, a fun and important conversation. But when you look at your life, when you think about the culture that you find yourself in, when you think about Redeemer City Church in this place, on this corner, in this neighborhood that people are flocking to, to seek and pleasure themselves. What is the role of the church in that place? What, what happens when we find ourselves at the intersection of faith and culture? Right, Because that's where you live. You fly the Jesus flag. You've confessed him as Lord. But you will walk into work on Monday or you will walk into your college on Monday or you will walk into your high school or your middle school or your, your law office or, where, or, or wherever you are. Steve was telling me he got a job doing sales for a moving company. Amazing. I will never have that kind of influence. <laughs> and, and God's done that for each of you. Small business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, teachers and professors and wherever you find yourself. We fan out into the city and what we find, we find ourselves at this intersection of faith and culture. And my question is, and it's on the screen, is how do we stand firm in this culture when we find ourselves at that intersection? What are we supposed to do? It's important for us all to consider what does it mean to live a godly life in an ungodly culture? Right? Think about that. What, what, what does it mean for you in your circle of influence where God's given you a place to be salt and light? What does it mean for you and I? And then what does it mean for us on this corner to be godly people in an ungodly Culture And really, I think it boils down to a question. Are we going to modify God to fit into our lives? Or will we modify our lives to fit into God's? Let me just press even farther into that. And be somewhat of a prophetic voice for you. Not as in I can tell you the future. But as in telling you something that we all need to hear. Let, let's, let's talk about our country. And don't amen, don't amen till I'm done because you're probably not going to like it. All right. But we were 
supposedly founded on this principle, right? One nation under God. That sounds awesome. Sounds, sounds great, frankly. And we could solve a lot of problems if we start living by that, right? But we're not that. We're not that. If you've been hiding under a rock, welcome back, right? Like, we aren't that. First of all, we aren't one nation, right? We're extremely divided. We're not one nation. Certainly not under God, right? But don't be surprised by that. Don't be thrown back by that. Don't, don't, don't be uh, for the USA as much as you are for Jesus making himself known in the USA. Right? I'm, I'm grateful for this country. My grandfather gave his, gave his uh, whole sacrificial life for this country. He was a Purple Heart in World War II and went to Angio Beachhead in Italy and fought and was hit by multiple grenades and lived with shrapnel in his body. I, he would let me touch it. You know, when you're six, how cool is that? Right? Your, your grandfather's like, I can't lift my arm higher than this, but touch right here. That's grenade from World War II. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, it was awesome when you're six, Right? But then you get to be 16 and 26 and 36 and you, and you go, oh, that, that shrapnel wasn't just cool. Right? Like, I understand that. I do. I, I get it. And I'm grateful for this country. And that will always be with me. I'll never forget every time the national anthem was played, him tearing up because of what it meant. And I'm, I'm with you on that and I'm for that. But as God's representative, let's not be guilty of worshiping our culture. And let's also not be guilty of running away from our culture. Right? What does it look like to stand firm in this culture? Typically in the church, I'm, I'm speaking capital C church, the church that's older than three, we, uh, we have two responses typically as the people of God in this culture. We typically come into one of two places. We either bow to it or we revolt against it. We either go down the path of come as you are and stay that way. When Jesus actually said, come as you are. And I will change you and then you can go and sin no more. Right, that's what he said to the woman at the well. He welcomed somebody in who nobody else would welcome in. And then he gave her what she really needed. Or we come on the other side, we revolt and we say all culture is bad. You're going to hell if you don't repent. And in fact, I'm going to get my bullhorn out. And I'm going to head down to Emily Arena or over to Armature Works with my sign with a nasty picture on it. And I'm going to yell at you because that's going to work. Maybe it does. I, probably not. It's a bad idea. <laughs> but you've got three, three choices. The first one is to bow. The second one is to revolt. But then I think Daniel chapter 1 presents a third option. We're going to move into this book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Daniel chapter 1. But what I believe is that we see in Daniel this opportunity at the intersection of faith and culture for this third option 
It's a mix of what Jesus modeled for us called grace and truth. This third option is, I believe, a biblical option that I'm going to call influence. Influence. Here, here's your choices. You can bow to culture. You can revolt against culture. Or you can step in and influence culture. Assuming you're up to the challenge of number three, <laughs> and it will be a challenge, how might the Holy Spirit be leading you to do that? That's what this series is all about. We're going to spend the next seven or eight weeks unpacking Daniel's life of influence and what enabled him to be an effective witness in a culture that was far from God. You live as a witness, as a light in this culture to be effective for Jesus. And Jesus gave us all the promises that we need, right? He told Peter, I'm on the rock, the church I'm going to build, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. You win. No matter what happens to you in this earth, you win. You, you can walk into, we just sung about it, we can walk into whatever battles in front of us because we already know that Jesus wins. Right? From the very beginning in Genesis 1 through 3, we see that we walk away from God's plan and Jesus comes. And makes things right. Right? That, that the, the serpent influences and Jesus crushes the serpent. Right? When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and for mine, he struck that serpent on the head. And it will never win ever again. What an amazing thing the gospel is. And as we come to the book of Daniel, it's... It's important even to just know where it falls, right? It's a, it's a history book. It's historical events. But it's set within the major prophets in the Bible. And I believe even that's important because as we come to this uh, historical book and we, we learn from this period of, of uh, captivity in the history of Israel, it's prophetic for us because we can prophetically learn from these accounts on how to engage our culture. Moving into the future. So if you look at Daniel chapter 1, look at the first two verses here. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. So God allows his people to be brought into captivity. It doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar took over Judah, does it? That's not what the scripture says. What does it say? It says that God gave them into their hand. Not all gifts from God are gifts you would pick. Not all gifts from God, some of you need to hear that again, are gifts you would pick. In fact, most of the gifts God gives me are that Brillo pad couch Jake was talking about. They, they, they're, the Bible says God disciplines those that he loves. Some of the best gifts are ones that will do what you need, not what you want. Mm, that'll preach, but that is not fun. So here they are. They're in, it's 605 B.C., they're entering into 70 years of captivity as a nation in Babylon. 
the center of culture. And that's exactly what happens in verse 3. It says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch. You don't want to be a eunuch. You can Google that later. All right. To bring some of the people of Israel. You probably shouldn't Google that. Especially if you're under. No, don't Google that. All right. Come ask your pastor later what a eunuch is. All right. We'll, we'll chat. I get myself in trouble, you know. But look at this. To bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So, people are taken out of their homeland. They're moved to Babylon. And they're looked at, and the best ones, from a human standpoint, are taken into the king's palace for a three-year period of indoctrination. They're going to re-educate, and they're going to force on these people, God's people, a new way of life, a new culture, a new doctrine, a new thing to live for. And it will go even farther in verse 6. Look at what it says in verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuch gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. And so uh, as we kick off this series, what, what is right off the top that you and I need to know is that when you come to the intersection of faith and culture... And you begin to think through what does it look like to live a godly life in an ungodly culture. What you should know right off the bat as we kick this series off is that culture will always try to change your identity. It will always try to change your identity. In fact, if you're taking notes, this is one of your blanks. Culture will always attempt to rename you. Will always attempt to rename you. If you were to look throughout the corridor of time and throughout history, there's one book that has stood the test of time, and it's this one. Think about the, the way that culture has shifted. There, there has never been a steady source of truth, a steady authority that you can rest your life on outside of the Bible. Culture will always try to rename you because if culture can change your identity, then the enemy wins. Why is that? Because God has told you who you are. God has told you who you are. And it's significant how these four guys were renamed because in that culture, names were significant. They were chosen specifically. It wasn't just a trend or a fashion thing, right? It wasn't that we just liked the name. They, they, they had significant meanings. And in this renaming of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, it's a significant attempt for Babylon to rename and shape who their identity was. Let me show you what I mean. The first one is Daniel. We know who Daniel is. Daniel means God is my judge, if you're taking notes. God is my judge. That's not, 
Yeah, that sounds great. But look at what they rename him to be in Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar means lady, protect the king. Now, why is that important? Because Daniel's parents looked at him and said, God will be your judge. Live your life the way God would have you to live it, because one day you're going to stand before him. And the Bible says you're going to give an account for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. For those of us that know Christ, we're going to have the opportunity to be rewarded for the things we did for Christ so that we can, at this great worship ceremony, cast them back down at his feet in great worship. What an awesome thing. That's what Daniel's name means. God is my judge. Belteshazzar, though, lady, protect the king. You're not going to serve God anymore, Daniel. You're going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. You're not going to serve the God that you were named after, named for. You're going to serve me. You're going to serve the king. And isn't it interesting that they gave him a a female name? Don't gloss over that. Listen, there have been gender issues in every culture. Every culture. I'm not beating up anyone with this. I'm just pointing out. That culture will always try to change your identity. It will always try to confuse the value that you have simply by being made in the image of God. And I recognize that there are deep, deep issues there. And I'm not glossing over any of them. But what I am saying is that who God created you as is who God wants you as. He didn't make a mistake When you look in the mirror, you see exactly what God wanted. And that's a beautiful thing. It it keeps going here, though, with Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. That's our confession. That's all of our name. (laughs) Yahweh has been gracious. But they change it to Shadrach, which means I am afraid of God. And not in a healthy fear kind of way, but in afraid of you because I can't trust you. Yahweh has been gracious. No, no, no. I'm afraid of Yahweh. We're going to reshape your view of God. Mishael. Who is what God is? What a great name. Who is like God? It's a rhetorical question. Nobody. Who is like God? But look at what Meshach means. I am despised in humility. Culture will always, humiliated, culture will always tell you to look within when you need to look without. It's going to tell you to try harder or search for it in this or try that or party here or party there or do this or look at that or click on this or try that. And they'll try to tell you that inside of you is what you've always been looking for. And I want you to know that what's inside of you is not what you've been looking for. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. It's the confession of this church. We're three years old by the grace of God. We have not brought anything to the table. In fact, we don't have anything to bring to the table other than our families. It's our confession that Yahweh has helped. And look at what Abednego means. It means servant of Nebo. Instead of Yahweh has helped me, I'm now going to be a servant of Nebo. Nebo was a a Syro-Babylonian god in the 
pantheon of gods that they worshipped. And it, he was essentially the god of fate. His symbols were a clay tablet and a stylus. And the instrument, those instruments were held to be proper to him who inscribes the fates of men. I'm going to serve Nebo. Abednego means. And isn't it interesting that this is the question when we stand at the intersection of faith and culture? The question we answer is, will culture determine your fate or will God determine your fate? Will culture determine your fate or will God determine your fate? So how do we stand firm? How how do we do that? You know, like you're okay, pastor, I'm with you. We're in this culture. We have to live a certain way. How do we live a godly life in an ungodly culture? I love what Martin Luther said. Great reformer. He said this, the Christian shoemaker. Any shoemakers in the house? Okay, just checking. The Christian shoemaker does not do his duty by putting little crosses on the shoes. But by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. What does that mean? It means in whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So when you show up at work, do it to the best of your ability and the glory of God. And when people ask you why you're so happy about doing what they're not happy about doing, you're going to say, because I have Jesus in my heart. As it reminds me of a kid's song, J-E-S-U-S. No, I'll sing that for you later. Probably won't. <laughs> but listen, the gospel doesn't remove effort. Right? I think that, that can be the confusing line is that if Jesus has done everything for me and I can't do anything for him and I don't need to do anything for him, that somehow I can do nothing. I can just sit around all day and do nothing. The gospel doesn't remove effort. The gospel changes the emphasis of our effort. Instead of me working for me or working for God, I recognize that he's finished on the cross what I need so I can serve you and everyone in my culture expecting nothing in return. It's actually harder than the opposite. Look at how Daniel responds to this attack of culture. I love this. And we know it's an attack because of how he responds. Look at verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel made up his mind that he wouldn't defile himself. Yes, revolt, rebel, gather an army, (laughs) come against the king. It's not what he did. He asked permission. That's insane. Daniel was no rebel. (laughs) He asked permission. He doesn't bow. He doesn't say, Daniel fast. Those crazy 21st century Christians, they're going to do the Daniel fast. No, no, no. Give me some of that Nebo feast, right? Like the, the meat and the wine. And let me get in on that. Think, Think about all the reasons that he could have just done it. Been like, man, like God has, God is blessed. Man, he took me out of my culture. I got ripped away from my home and I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to be a slave. And check this out. I get to eat at the king's table. I get a great education. These things sound familiar in our culture. 
I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to pray, God, just provide for my wants. We struggle with this same thing. But I think what Daniel recognized that we need to recognize is that he didn't get out a bullhorn, but he chose influence because he realized that it wasn't him against the culture. It wasn't him against Babylon. But that he was with God on assignment in Babylon. What a difference. That if I recognize that it's not me against this culture, or me with this culture, but me in this culture on mission from God. It's completely different because there were real reasons why he should have refused the king's ways beyond being vegan. Right? Like, he wasn't just going to be a vegetarian. Right? Like, there were very specific reasons, like Babylon's food was sacrificed to idols. That was a big deal in, in the purity of their uh, faith before God. Daniel would be changing his identity to take that food. He would be saying these things that God gave me in his word no longer matter. You and I are going to struggle with that. There's things in, in God's word that he designed on purpose for a purpose that in this culture are no longer socially beneficial. What will you do? When those questions come up. Fifty years ago, they didn't, we might not have struggled with these things, but we live in a culture now that that's going to ask you about issues that the Bible speaks to. And the Bible says, will you be ready to give an answer? Will you revolt? Will you bow? Or will you influence? When culture shifts, will you shift? Culture will ask you to compromise your standards. The pressure of culture coming at you. I can go see that or watch that. I can do that. I can eat that. I can drink that. I can click on that. I can go there because it, do it doesn't bother me. And that's the point, right? That's the point that, that what, 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 are we, what are we doing with our God-given influence? What are we doing with that? And what, what I'm not going to do in this series is answer the question what you should or shouldn't do. Because you don't need me for that. You have the Holy Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, is what the Bible says. Right? That you don't need a to-do list from me. And you don't need a not-to-do list from me. You need to be pointed back to the Holy Spirit. That you would walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I think one of the older translations says, not gratify the desires of your flesh. That's harder than it sounds. And isn't it fun to get a little bit of success and make it three years in and think, man, this is, this is great. But there's a mission. There's a mission. What has God called us to? And all, all this is fun, but there's still a stain in the ceiling. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, it kind of bothers me. <laughs> it's 
probably bother some of you. But listen, it's easier to bow. It's easier to compromise. It's easier to tolerate. But that's not what Jesus said, right? Here's what Jesus said. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit a man to build a giant church and we all lose our soul? What does it gain a man to build a, a giant company and lose his soul? You know what's crazy for this little church? God just continues to provide in miraculous ways. Even this morning. I haven't got to tell anybody about it. Miraculous ways. Crazy stuff. But you know what? When you choose to stand firm, it's important for you to know that it isn't you standing firm. That's the beauty of it. You simply surrender to the Lord, open hands to the Holy Spirit to trust in Jesus and his power and his strength. Because when God calls, he provides. <laughs> it's been amazing. When God calls, he provides. When he sends, he equips. You're right where he wants you to be. And when you are connected to the life of the church and growing in the body of Christ and walking with each other in unity, that is when people see what God intended them to see. Think about this. The only reason that Ashpenaz saw any difference was because Daniel stood firm. Look, look at what goes on here in the next couple of verses. So Daniel resolves not to defile himself, verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. The king's officials uh, were sympathetic to Daniel, but there was fear there. <laughs> and rightfully so, because nobody goes against the king. You wouldn't receive favor and sympathy for going against the king. And the officials would be liable if they endorsed something like that. But look at this. Look at verse 12. So Daniel, instead of bowing or revolting, he influences, look at this, verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. They've got three years, he asks for 10 days. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the king's uh, be observed, down to verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And don't you love it? Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who are at the king's food. Listen, we don't eat vegetables to get fatter. Can I get an amen? Right? That's not why we eat veggies. Who was at work in that? God was at work in that. God was at work in that because he called Daniel to this place. And when Daniel chose to influence and not bow or revolt, when he chose to step into the calling that God gave him, God was there. God was in that place, already working <laughs> through vegetables. How awesome. The only reason Ashpenaz saw a difference was because Daniel stood firm. Could the problem in our culture be that the non-Christians can't see the difference in the Christians? 
Could that be part of the problem of the church's influence today? And listen, I'm not just talking about smoke and lights and, you know, I'm for good work. Just like Martin Luther said, we, we do good work. God called us to that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We're called to it. Because our message will contain enough difference. When we call people to confess Jesus as Lord, to the glory of God the Father, there'll be enough difference. See, because when culture shifts, there will always be a test. There will always be a test. James chapter 1 verse 2, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. It doesn't say so you can have everything you want. It says so that you won't be a deficient in anything. And, and that goes for us as the church. It goes for us as the church throughout the Bible. We see this uh, in testing. Think about it. Ten commandments, testing, tithing, testing. Disciples in the upper room before Pentecost. Ten days they were tested for their faith. The church in Smyrna, Revelation 2.10, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and will suffer persecution for how many days? Ten days. There's a test. Daniel and his friends did the work, did the hard work on the vegan diet. <laughs> and God gave them favor. Not the point is vegan diet. The point is this, God is greater than culture. Culture is going to try to claim you as its own. What will you do? Culture will try to rewrite the script that God wrote for your life. Culture will try to change your identity. But look at verse 20. Don't you love this? In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. God gave them favor. Why? Because they knew who he created them to be. And they used those gifts to influence the culture that they found themselves in. See, it's really easy to look at our situation and bemoan the fact that we're not where we want to be. When in fact, God's given us an opportunity. Right? I started with growth track. I'm going to end with growth track. I want you to sign up for Growth Track because we don't just do church. We are the church. We want to take you on that journey, that spiritual journey where you allow God into your life and you're able to grab a hold of the name that God has given you. Just like Daniel. Daniel didn't do anything special. It says that God gave Daniel favor. Daniel just simply did what God called him to do. And that's where we are. But Growth Track is, is, is for you, if you're wondering, we just take you in three separate Sundays. We send you a link, we give you a book, you get free swag. It's awesome, right? You get to listen to me for 30 minutes at a shot. I mean, come on. No, no, no. It's not to entertain you. It's just to simply walk you through your God-given purpose so that you can put it to work. So that you can exercise your influence. So you can know what and who God's created you to be because God is greater than culture. So as we wrap up 
today and we think about our third birthday and we think about this next season of ministry ahead of us, it would be a tragedy for us to celebrate a birthday party of a church without taking communion. Right? That we, that we would just recognize that it was the table that he set, not the table that Babylon is setting. Right? Because the reality is, is that we, the USA, are not modern day Israel. We're actually modern day Babylon. And it's important for you and I to recognize that just like the New Testament says, we're aliens and strangers in this world. And our confession is different. Our confession is in a crucified king who rose to give us life and that we would have life together and have it to the full. What we celebrate at the Lord's table, at communion, at the sacrament of communion is just that, that his body and his blood was shed for you and me so that we could have life, so that we could do life together. So that just like it says in John 17, 21, that we would, that he would be in us and we would be in him, that we would have complete unity together. And what's our prayer over the next three, five, 10, 20, 50 years for Redeemer City Church is that it wouldn't be about Redeemer City Church. It would be about you and I walking with the spirit to the glory of God so that people around us might see and hear the name of Jesus. And be set free. Be brought from death to life. So as we celebrate this, that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the fact that we were brought from death to life. And now, because of that, I have every opportunity in front of me to use, without fear, my God-given influence.